call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast Sunday Morning Cornerback Edition. Gary Paspis joined by Daryl Rideau. And, uh, Daryl, it's a day to celebrate, as always, when the Trojans beat the Bruins uh, yesterday, 28-23, uh, at, at the Coliseum. And a, a, a game that is going to be very interesting to discuss because it followed the pattern that we have seen from the Trojans all year long um, of an up-and-down game, an inconsistent game, but yet a team right. finding a way to pull it out in the end. Right, and and as we had discussed uh, early in the season, when USC was faced with these tough, closely fought battles, and they were able to overcome, such as you know what we're deeming as the the drive uh, against Texas, uh, that that kind of got them over the hump, and some of these close late game heroics that we've experienced from this team, that experience that I thought would build callous and give them. You know, nurturing confidence later in the year proved dividends in a game like this when there were many players were at the beginning of the season, Gary. If you were to ask, um, you know, did you think that the Trojans would have to rely upon so heavily guys playing out of position, doing things that, you know, weren't weren't expected of them, but to come through and not only come through, but really come through in impact moments? It, I, I draw back to those experiences and I think that that's what that's the one thing that separates the Trojan program right now from UCLA. It's that experience to close out games. And I, I think that's one of the things I'm taking away uh, as much as anything. Um, there was never a chance, even though things weren't clicking for the offense, even though UCLA was hanging in there and Josh Rosen was throwing the ball all over the field, you never sensed any sense of panic. For, for, from the Trojans, you never thought that they were out of their element. So, like you say, kind of that battle tested early in the season when they, there was a lot of adversity faced. When there was adversity faced in this game, it always seemed like the Trojans were in control until, like you say, uh, in, in the final end of it. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I, I, I want to start to kind of one of the first topics. Usually, we talk offensive and, de- and defense, but I want to give a nod to special teams in this one, Daryl, because it really was a, uh, a such a well executed special teams play. That that really kick-started things for the Trojans in this game. It was a scoreless game uh, midway through right. the first quarter, and the Bruins went to punt. And uh, raise your hand if you saw that coming with Michael Pittman, what he was doing, because I think 99% of the eyeballs on that play were focused on a Jane Harris as he was mocking uh, catching a punt. But the Trojans <laughs> saw something. Pittman right. got it. He had a couple blockers in front of him, and all of a sudden it's 7 nothing Trojans. Right, Gary. And just when I thought that, and I questioned how much gas was left in the tank of this team that had no bye week and clinched uh, the Pac-12 South last week. So really didn't have anything going into this game to play for other than pride. You know, uh, I thought that this game had all the makings for an upset. But again, we talked about a veteran savvy team. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to take our viewers and our listeners into the huddle uh, for punt coverage. Normally what happens is either it's the coach or perhaps the punter will declare what the directional kick is. He'll say, you know, punt right, punt right, or something to that nature. Um, but I'm almost wondering if it was a lapse in judgment. If the punter for UCLA perhaps was facing the team and said, punt right, punt right, but when he turned his body, he actually shanked it to the right. No, he didn't even shank it. His body was pointed to the way that he might have been thinking in his mind. Because I'm wondering, unless 
we were all fooled and, and the ball was shanked, which it clearly did not appear to be because of, of the angle of the punter. Um, that was an error on on the kicker. Uh, for for the punter to direct the, the ball when everybody else thought it was going in the opposite direction, it goes back to when you were in elementary school, left foot, right foot, making sure that your shoe is on the right foot and that you're you're um, you're facing the right direction. But kudos to Pittman, very savvy, retreated, you know, dropped deep enough to field the ball, but not only field the ball, but have the wherewithal to realize that there was clear sailing, clear path. And then he got a caravan along the way. And had it not been for that play, a critical play like that, and then accompany that with the aggressive uh, fielding of a punt returned by a Jane Harris that gave the offense a short field on a day where, it, like we talked about, it just felt like the offense didn't have their fastball going for them and they had to rely upon other, other areas of the game. It's those savvy type plays, a play like that where one might not have expected that from a, a Michael Pittman or an, a Jane A. Harris. Those guys stepping up in crucial moments, giving the Trojans an opportunity to win. I, I doubt too many people expected the biggest hit of the night to come from the USC punter as well with Reed Bidrovich. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see that highlight again. I, I, I thought he laid the boom on that one. And he and he did so, but then like you say, uh, so 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 you get up seven nothing, and then uh, the, the the Bruins come in. They they get the first of three touchdown passes to Jordan Lasley, and, and boy, I'll, I'm going to tip my hat to Jordan Lasley really quick. Uh, two touchdowns last year on a Dory Jackson, yeah. and then three touchdowns tonight. Okay, young man from Sarah High School, uh, yeah, <laughs> job well done. Um, I don't know how many of us saw that type of performance come, but he seemed to shine when in in, in the game. In this particular rivalry game, he he continues to show up and turn out. Uh, what gets me is, and the frustration part is, if this one cat is beating you, and he's beating you on average of 20 yards a pop, you know, why didn't we make the necessary adjustments? Why didn't we roll our coverage? Why didn't we, you know, force somebody else to beat? Uh, beat the Trojans, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I thought that, you know, USC coming into this game tried too much, too hard to please everyone. You know, transitioning uh, Biggie back into the game, rotating Isaiah Langley between Jack Jones, uh, Iman Biggie Marshall. That three-man rotation, it felt like they were going series by series. One would play the right side, one would be on the sideline, the other would play the left, and then they would just kind of rotate in. I really thought that that affected the flow and continuity of things because during the game it felt like USC had to abandon its game plan. Early in the game, of course, they wanted to put nine in the box, Gary, but when they started leaving those corners out to dry and a savvy quarterback like Josh Rosen sat back there very comfortably at times and really just threw a beautiful deep ball, you got to give credit to where credit is due. That's probably the best quarterback that USC has faced. And if you you know interview any of the players, they'd probably say the same thing. I, I, can, I can tell you we interviewed Chris Hawkins afterwards, and that's exactly what he said. He said that's the best quarterback I've ever faced. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. And, you know, it's almost a shame that we didn't get to see that matchup with Darnold last year. But make no mistake about it, that was the hype going into this game. And Josh Rosen did not disappoint, you know. And, um, of course, we're accustomed to seeing – those type of performances from Sam Darnold. And not that his his performance was mediocre, but it certainly 
felt like it was a little flat, pelt in comparison at times. But make no mistake about it, Gary, when his fastball isn't on, he still finds other ways to make magic, whether it's running the ball for that touchdown or it's leading a, a, a drive when you really need it most. And that's what he seems to do. He just steps up and makes the necessary plays and, and, and stacks up the W's. And that's what happened in this game, yeah. But let's talk about through through the the, the, the middle of the game. I want to talk about a couple of things with the struggles of the SC offense um, and, and why this ended up coming down to the last drive, uh, Daryl. Because like you say, Sam Darnold, his number's not bad, 17 of 28, 264. Uh, the one pick that he had, that was basically a punt. Um, I wasn't yeah. worried about that one. Uh, no, no, no touchdowns on the game, which, okay, whatever. We had three rushing touchdowns, including Sam having one of them. Like you say, not bad numbers, but by Sam's standards, not the same. The, the, the one that puzzled me d- during the game, when you look at what UCLA's defense was coming into the game, the numbers that they had yeah. put up and given up, uh, for the Trojans to be 2 of 10 in the game, and, and really it was 1 of 9 before that final drive. Bill, that, 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 that's just not sustaining drive. That's, that, that's giving Rosen. That's why UCLA was able to run 83 plays and Rosen was able to throw the ball 52 times. That was a real shocking number to me as the game was coming along and you and I were texting about it. And, uh, what, what did you see as the problem with that? Well, you know, it's uncharacteristic for an offense coming into this game that was probably as hot as anybody in the country. You know, they, they really struggled to find their rhythm, Gary. And, and I almost thought that the offense play calling became impatient. When they noticed that the offense, the USC's offense was on the sideline and they had to watch what Rosen was doing throughout the game, uh, you know, uh, clearly, you know, what what did you say, 85 plays? Uh, there, 83 there were times where – 83? Okay. There, there were times where he sustained long drives. And I watched an offense very impatiently get back into the game, and instead of getting back to uh, their flow of offense, getting that running game going, and then you know the play-action pass or the rhythm passes coming off of that, I felt like they rushed, they forced things uh, down the field, and as a result, some of their drives stalled. And because of that, we didn't see the type of flow and continuity that we've become accustomed to seeing. But give credit to UCLA. They came in with an excellent game plan. They knew the guys that they wanted to uh, deter Sam from throwing to, and they forced USC to dig deep into its playbook uh, to try to pull out some sustainable drives. And then you flip it on the, on the other side. The Bruins had 10 of 19 third down conversions. Um, yeah, a, a, a surprisingly shocking number because um, most of them were th- coming on throws and, and they were converting with Rosen. But the one thing that uh, was noticeable when they got down into the red zone, five opportunities in the red zone came out of it with two touchdowns and one field goal, probably some points that they feel are left off the board. And uh, Jim Morris said after the game he thought that was a key. And so let's mention that uh, while we're talking about it, the news coming out right before we hopped on to do this podcast, uh, Jim Mora, no longer the head coach of the UCLA. Bruins. Does that surprise you? It does surprise me because as we were preparing for this this podcast, we thought that Mora prepared his team and played well enough to at least save his job. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they left a few points on the board and you can make the argument that that, you know, that he had this program at least turning in the right direction, competitively competing against USC. Now, where I thought that it was just probably the the end was nearing was 
when you have a, a, a prodigy like Josh Rosen and you can't put enough around him to to be in the national talk, and then if you're Dan Guerrero and you're a UCLA faithful, you have to listen to what's going on down the street from you, um, around the Coliseum, around the program at USC, it's very hard to sit there and play second fiddle when you believe that you should be standing toe-to-toe. So, uh, But for six years, I thought he's given, uh, Jim Mora Jr. has given USC all that it could handle, whether it's in recruiting or just transitioning the program and really making this rivalry um, competitive again. Uh, so I'm going to miss seeing that competitive edge because I always thought that UCLA had a fighting chance because Mora was there. Be curious to see what direction they go, but quite frankly, take all the time you want because I don't really care. I think that they made a mistake. Now, what that what that does for USC is that's a setback like that should propel this program and re-energize us because for the for those of us who left the game feeling like it was a lackluster, well, we just got a second win. We just knocked out their head coach. So take it for what it's worth, Gary. The win is significant, especially if it causes the fire of UCLA's head coach. I, I think a lot of Bruin fans as well this year, the one thing they just couldn't get past, you know, you're a defensive-minded head coach and you're giving up 500 yards a game. That's tough. Yeah, that that was that was tough. Um, and, and clearly, chemistry with your coaches and continuity goes a long way. And I think that that's why this team at USC always seems to have a fighting chance because there seems to be now stability with the coaching staff, Gary. Um, but give credit to USC's just key players. I mean, when you need crucial plays, when you need deflections, you don't have to turn to the Justice League to find Batman. Turn no further than um, uh, Enchina Nuwusu. His ability to deflect balls at the line of scrimmage at critical times – I think was the reason why USC was able to sustain their their lead because the closer you got into the red zone, didn't it feel like USC's defense got longer despite giving up you know yardage in between when it mattered most that they were able to hold serve and, and maintain that lead. That's kind of what uh, the, the the point we were talking about right at the top of it, it never seemed out of USC's control. Um, yeah. You know, the, the score may have gotten a little close. Um, this and that, things weren't really clicking, but you never felt like it was something that, okay, we've been here, done that, we, we know what we're doing in this adverse situation. Um, and like, like you say, it was it was a lot of individual plays. I'm, 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 there's a couple of guys I want to also mention. Uh, Malik Dorton, first of all. Uh, fantastic play, young man. The the, the sack and the, the forced fumble that John Houston picked up. And, boy, there was only one Bruin defender in, around him for miles, and it happened to be the guy right on John. <laughs> right, and I thought that Houston kind of was surprised that the ball was on the ground because if you go back to the drills that you, you're taught, scoop and score, I, I think he's hitting pay dirt, and you know, and, and he's high fiving people, grabbing Gatorade on the sideline because that should have been a touchdown. But right. you know, give a lot of credit to Dorton. I didn't see that coming out of him. Again, you know, sometimes you have these outer body experiences, but when they constantly keeps happening, you have to attribute that to. Uh, the coaching and the players' understanding of it. Now, make no mistake about it. Other guys are on scholarship, too, and teams game plan to try to poke holes at USC's strengths, and they're constantly being challenged. But their ability to make these intergame adjustments and, and really kind of knuckle down when it matters most, I, I think is an attribute to the experience on this team. 
Okay, uh, Daniel Imitor Bebe. We've been talking about them trying to get him back in the flow. He's obviously not 100% yet uh, back, yeah. but I thought it paid off on that final drive, uh, hitting yep. him for a nice 16-yard pass to get down inside the UCLA 10. Obviously only a couple games left in the season, but look for them to get, get Daniel Imitor Bebe a little bit more involved. That was nice to see. And then speaking of big receptions, seeing Stephen Carr back in the lineup, and he had two, one for 20, one for 29. Right. Uh, nice to see that young right. man back in the lineup. Just the versatility that he's able to add when he's healthy uh, is, is really a glimpse of what's to come. But those, those plays, trusting a freshman in the fourth quarter in those situations, it speaks a lot to his talent. And the future is very bright for him, but the present is even greater right now because Sam has found, a, a, you know, a, really a golden retriever coming out of the backfield with his ability, soft hands, and, and, and he creates such a mismatch that um, it forces teams to have to defend all five skill players. Not, not to mention Imitor Bebe out there. You know, you, you've been talking the last couple of weeks about yeah. how he impacts the spacing, even when they weren't hitting him. Imagine when you're able to start hitting him again for three or four passes a game. Right, right. And, and that play that you talked about with him being hit in stride, you know, uh, that reminded me of, of, of why we were so successful against the Washington Huskies last year right. up in um, – you know, uh, up north because his ability to stretch the field, create those mismatches, and as his confidence comes back and, you know, and he gets in better shape, uh, look out, man. I mean, this uh, this Pac-12 championship game, regardless of who it might be, and also, you know, any bowl game, you're, you're going to see a healthy arsenal uh, for Sam Darnold. And that's why I still think, and I'm, I'm holding true to serve, true, true to form, that the best – of this offense is yet to come. Yeah, well, one guy who's doing pretty good right now in the present is uh, is Ronald Jones. Uh, uh, another another good game, 122 yards, and you know, it, it didn't seem like all the opportunities were there. It's just one in part part with what we were saying about the offense just not clicking, but still, 122 yards is 122 yards, and he is eight yeah. yards away from passing OJ Simpson to move into number five spot on the all time list. Uh, I'm still so impressed by that from that young man. Isn't that amazing considering, you know, that he's missed a few games, Gary. You know, this year he's been very durable, but in his past he's missed a few games. So for him to be able to amount that type of production um, and then just his leadership and his commitment to his craft. This year I think that we've seen such a complete player from him, and and I'm so glad that he has been rewarded. and in that that the season has gone the way that it has because there were times where we we truly have needed him in every yard that that he's um been able to put this team on his back but what gets me most in in, in is that his physicality at the end of you know there's some players who are bruisers but it seems like Rojo accelerates into defenders, which makes it very difficult for them to get clean shots on him. And that's why I think he's going to have a long career, a healthy career, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, but a long career because of the, the fact that it's hard to get clean shots on him. Well, so now we're sitting here 10 and 2, and uh, a much needed bye week coming up uh, this next weekend. The, boy, you could see it in the players uh, talking about getting that bye week. That's something they are very much looking forward to. Uh, come back the following week, and then there will be the Pac 12 title game, and we won't know until next weekend uh, who we're going to play. It's either going to be Washington State or Stanford. Uh, I'll ask you first uh, any preferences on your end? Well, you, you know, I always like the Stanford matchup. 
but I think that Stanford presents its own challenges to USC. So I'm really hoping that that um, Washington State can seal the deal because I'd like to see some redemption. Uh, I, I thought that that was a game that the Trojans let slip away from them, and to have a second chance at that uh, at the um, the Cougars would just be a great finish to uh, you know just really a weird season for me. Um, hard to figure out this team, but I know that one thing is certain that this team knows how to finish games and to see them come back full circle and really put an exclamation point to the season by, you know, potentially beating the Cougars if they're able to represent the North would be a great finish. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to agree with you on that. I, I, I still like that matchup so much, especially when uh, we are so much healthier right now. Um, right. And, and, and right. like you say, the, the, the team has still not found an entire stride yet. But I will take my chances going up there with uh, with the help that we have right now, and with the mindset that would I would have to imagine with the be of the Trojan players to, like you say, get boy that would wipe something, some kind of taste in your mouth, and really put some kind of redemption on this season. And if they could put together that 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 game that we're all looking for from them, boy, that'd be nice to see. But uh, if they could get that redemption on the way to Pac-12 title, I think uh, I think that would be very satisfying. No doubt. So there, there's still plenty of things for USC to accomplish, um, but having this week, you know, to, to spend time on Thanksgiving and, and really just reflect back on things to be thankful for, Gary, uh, as I'm thankful for our friendship, um, I, I love the fact that their season ended before Thanksgiving to give them a chance to spend time with family, reflect, and then come back to play some good football in the championship game that you and I will both be attending. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like for this team, it's kind of just a, for, for all they've been through, okay, if you're not going to have the bye in the season, having it right now, boy, it, it sure feels right. And, and how much can be accomplished in these last two games? Like, the opportunity to win a conference title, that speaks for itself. But if you do win that conference title, then you're going to go to a pretty nice bowl game, uh, wherever that may be. And so that's a chance to even build some more momentum, as you know from your senior your year at USC, what you guys were able to lay as a foundation for the program by going out and getting that Orange Bowl win. And for everything that this senior class has been through, um, to see them endure the type of success that they had in the in the Rose Bowl last season, and then cap that off with a quality, you know, um, New Year's Six game would just be fitting for this group if they're not playing for a national title. I still love the USC football and the, and the brand that we're seeing, and I'm excited uh, for what's to come. Uh, I think a lot of people are as well. Okay, that's it for today. For Dale Overdale, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Cornerback, the We Are SC Podcast. <laughs>